Hello, everybody. This is amateur theologian Jim Barton with Reverend Abigail Conley, and I'm here again with you at uh, Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Today, we're going to talk about another favorite topic of uh, progressive Christians, which is the idea of salvation. Uh, my dad was a um, disciples minister, and he would uh, be asked from time to time by various people, uh, are you saved? And dad's response to are you saved is always, I'm working on it, which... Um, is something of his theology, but also something of his attitude of like just liking to mess with people. So, um, you know, the idea of salvation, the idea that we as Christians can achieve some point of significance where there's a turn. Now, what does it mean about afterlife? What does it mean about whether you, whether you're a new state going forward forever? Can it is it a once and always, or can it be changed? These are all sort of questions that I think uh, we maybe will touch on today. Um, but the other thing about salvation, I think, is that it's like m- many of our Christian ideas, it's an idea that I don't think is so strong in the Bible as it is in the practice of Christian faith. In other words, there are people who spend a lot of time thinking about salvation, and it's not immediately clear to me about where it comes from if you look in the scripture. So, Abby, I'm going to ask you, we've got, where does this idea of salvation come from in the Bible? Which biblical author? Is it a gospel author? Is it Paul? Is it John the Revelator? Who... Which authors in the Bible are responsible for this idea of, are you saved? Um, so first of all, yeah, it's definitely in our imagination. I was talking with kids one day in youth group and um, said, well, you know, in the Old Testament, there's not really an idea of heaven and hell. Everybody just goes to the place of the dead and hangs out there. It's called Sheol. When one of the kids looked at me and said, well, then what's the point of doing this? <laughs> right. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> You said, well, because you're a Christian and you don't have to believe any of that. Right. <laughs> I did not say that because I was in a much more conservative church. <laughs> it's like, what can I say to not get your mom calling me? Let's work on that one. Um, so it's not as immediately evident in the Bible. Um, Paul talks about it quite a bit. We are being saved. We are doing the saving thing. And a lot of our theology around it comes from the gospel according to John. So John writes about, behold, this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John writes about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John's actually the one that shapes a lot of traditional communion liturgies in churches that use that to talk about this saves us in some way. And John is the last writer. Right. So if we think about it chronologically, we have the ministry of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we have Jesus walking around... Um, we have Jesus, you know, walking around uh, Nazareth and then walking around Jerusalem teaching and preaching, right? Right. And then we have um, Paul writing the epistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, some epistles are attributed to Peter and probably other people, the schools of Paul, etc. Right. And then we have the Gospels, the first one being Mark. Mm-hmm. Luke and Matthew then are written. And then, and then John is a much later. The temple has been destroyed. Nobody who knew Jesus personally was alive when John was writing. Right. That's fair to say, right? Yeah. I think that's a, so it's at that later point in the church. Um, it, it, has the diaspora happened? Is the is the the Jewish... The temple's been destroyed. The people are, are scattered, right? Fair enough to say? Well, yeah. And I mean, that's actually always somewhat fair to say because life in exile was actually better till even when the second temple was rebuilt. Not everyone wanted to be back where okay. the temple was. So it's fair to say that, yeah, there was always kind of this dispersed population because that's actually where synagogues came from. And John's, I mean, and Paul's talking about 
being saved from the bondage of sin, mm -hmm. right, and being released from this um, this oppression, right, that is our own sinfulness. Right. Does does Paul have the idea of? I guess what you're saying is that Paul doesn't so much have the idea of salvation as much as that's really more what we get in 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 John three, right, where right. he talks about salvation. And that is where being born again. Our our shapes come from. The only person, actually, the New Testament, most of the people who talk about hell, actually the only person who regularly talks about hell is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's still very limited. Mm -hmm. Tossed down to a lake of fire, there will be screaming and gnashing of teeth. But that view, as we've talked about before, is very limited. So even this notion of an afterlife and what comes is, is barely there. What about Jesus talking about the kingdom of God? So, an entry into the kingdom of God. Right, so... Um, Depending on your author, you get different writings, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And what I actually like about that is that in all of it, there's an immediacy to this. So Jesus actually says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is right there. And I actually think of it as something breaking through at any moment. It's not something that has to be later. It's not something that has to happen at some point in the future. Um, it was breaking in at the moment. And now that's a particular view of my point because the other thing is the people who were hearing Jesus said that thought he was going to do a, have a revolution and establish a kingdom again. Right. Um, it's your thinking about breaking through at any time. But right. Jesus did say the kingdom of God is a hand right. according to the gospel authors. Right. Yes. Um, and that's me saying though, like, no, there's an immediacy even now. And that's my particular position in history to not expect, hey, this guy standing here is going to become king one day. That is, there is this realm that is happening that is stronger than what we see around us that is breaking in at any moment. So another, um, I'm a, this, this podcast will be themed hilarious things that Jim's dad said. So another thing, my dad was doing um, marriage counseling once and um, the, the husband or whatever, the husband-to-be uh, said, um, asked my dad, do you believe in, are you a post-millennialist? A premillennialist or a millennialist, and my dad said, "I think all that stuff is crap." So I don't really know how to answer your question. So, um, again, not super pastoral, my dad, at right. all turns. But um, the reason I'm bringing that up is because those ideas about uh, about uh, uh, sort of the apocalypse and sort of that kind of business is a lot of stuff that's been manufactured after the fact, and that big thinkers have had big thoughts about. Um, that's true of salvation too, and we've had. Um, I know that you had a graphic that sort of walks through the different ideas about how salvation works, and maybe, maybe we'll see if we can do a properly copyrighted version of that um, on our on our podcast. But in any case, maybe talk about the ideas that are expressed there. So yeah, it's on hacking Christianity. It's a really cool graphic, um, and talks about four major versions of how we are atoned. So how we're made at one with God. That actually was a Sunday school word. Um, that has made it into popular theology. So atone is relatively new, but worked well. So incarnation, that somehow God became in, becoming flesh and dwelling among us, changed things and saved us in that moment. So the fact that God would choose to bless humanity and walk with humanity is sufficient to save us. Okay. And I actually really like that version. Uh -huh. That's a version where I'm like, yes, I think it does matter to say that... Jesus ate and drank and was born just like everybody else and that God somehow blessed that instead of this realm 
as is often the case, um, is viewed as evil. Like, no, this isn't evil. This is good too. And that's what particularly attractive if you think about it in terms of the last um, podcast we were talking about sin. And if you're thinking about sin as in a society that doesn't have the capability to meet what's expected of it or to achieve its very best, the idea that by having God's presence among us, that's the turning point. Right. At that point, when God was among us, that's when we as a society had a chance right. to do what is right. Yeah. So that's kind of that's an attractive idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one that that author lists with um, incarnation as well is Christus Victor which is often resurrection. And so we sing about that often. He is victor or the grave. Christ arose the world to save. Mm-hmm. So this idea that whatever systems were in place, Christ fought some battle somewhere, like in a cosmic way, the fact that there was resurrection fixes everything. And I think, um, and so th- this author puts that at the same place as the nativity. Uh-huh. Because... Christus victor is in Christ's victory over sin, I guess, or Christ's right. victory over whatever. And then other times you talk about Christ's victory over the grave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that paints death as the ultimate evil because that's what the story of the fall is. They went from being immortal, immortal to, to evil, or to being immortal. Yeah. Okay. Right. So by conquering death, um, Jesus saved us. And then life and teaching, which is where a lot of progression, progressive Christians fall. That Jesus taught us what we should do, and there is, he is teaching us what to do, and so we lead that, we read it, we do what Jesus said he would do. And now you said this is me. I think this is you. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. The idea that um, Jesus is, even if you're, whether you're talking about Jesus as an ethicist, ethicist who is providing us ethical rules on how to live our life, or whether a moralist who's teaching us a way, a worldview. Mm-hmm. In either case, it's using Jesus as an example and sort of finding salvation from the ordinary, release from the ordinary in in our relationship with Jesus. Right. Um, and then the other one that falls in that is actually a lot of liberation theologians fall there because Jesus wasn't born a king. Jesus was born as poor, um, was impoverished his entire life. So that's a model of living in solidarity with the poor matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and making the choice to be poor rather than rich. And so that has become a more popular notion recently with um, evangelical authors like Shane Claiborne, okay. who has renounced everything and essentially lives in a commune. Okay. Um, so that's becoming more popular with those things. Of, yeah, you choose to be poor and you choose to give away what you have. Um, and that's still a part of the idea of salvation through Jesus' life and teaching. Right. Okay. And then the one that has been most popular is crucifixion. And I should say at least most popular for us who are sitting here and listening to this. And that is that Jesus had to die to satisfy some evil. So Saved by the blood. Right. You're saved by the blood. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So that could be a few different ways. But the... The idea is that there was a price that had to be paid because we're sinful humanity, and in Jesus' death, he did that. Right. Um, that is what, you know, and has... it's literally like a mechanical... It's a literally a mechanical... One more. Yeah. It's literally sort of a mechanical, like, there was something that had to be done. Like, there was a... Um, it's not metaphorical, almost, right? Like, right. there was... We needed... A sacrifice was necessary. Right. Um... And yeah, and there's even with early Christian writers like Anselm and Abelard, 
they wrote about the rights of the devil. So this personified evil that in the fall, like we we belong to the devil, and so somebody had to. There had to be a sacrifice. Yeah, had that. to be paid. Yeah. By the way, why do you have to? Why, if you're an early church father, does your name have to start with A? I don't know. I really like Irenaeus, and his doesn't start with an A. It's an E. It's an I. It's an I. And I really like Tertullian, and his starts with a T. But Augustine, Aquinas. Anselm, Abelard. Abelard. Yeah. All right, anyway. There's a lot of A's. There's probably some etymological, re- etymological reason that I don't know. And then resurrection. And I think that that makes progressive Christians nervous. Before we do resurrection, uh-huh. the, the other thing is, I mean, I think this is the, the, the passion, the Mel Gibson movie. Yes, totally. Well, the passion of the Mel Gibson movie, and then also the, the tradition of the passion plays, that's what they're all about, right? Because they're all about this idea of... A sort of blood and gore and this is and, and the way you connect with Christ is to envision the suffering that Christ did because of your sinfulness right yeah and that becomes where Jesus is crucified continually in the mass and that's why um, you know I, I am far enough away from the Protestant Reformation I was much older before I realized a crucifix with Jesus on it um there are a lot of older Protestants like, no, that's Catholic because we preach an empty cross. It's yeah. the resurrection that saves right. us. It's these other things. Thank you. It's not Jesus' death on a cross. I mean, just for the record, I'm also pretty far from the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. I mean, well, chronologically. Yeah, you know, I had like one of the around when Moses people <laughs> in my last church who like we handed. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. We handed her a, a devotional and it was Henry Nowen. So like, fabulous writer, you know, good material, and it had Jesus on a cross. And she looked at it when it was handed to her and said, Jesus is on a cross, that's Catholic. But I'll rip the cover off and take it anyway. <laughs> I would have said Jesus on the cross is Catholic. Uh-huh. So, but I, all right, I'm yeah. sorry. So go ahead, back to the, the lesson. Right, and that's then where the liturgy tends to come from. Jesus, Son of God, who takes away, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So that, that's rooted in the cross and Jesus' death there. And then resurrection, which makes progressive Christians nervous because then you have, is there a bodily resurrection? Is right. there not? Right. But, so there is victory over the grave. So this thing that has plagued humankind is not the last thing forever. That is appealing as well. And yeah. to say that um, Frederick Beekner puts it, the last thing is never the worst. The worst thing is never the last thing. So whatever the worst moment, there's something better coming. There's something else coming. And to me, that is appealing. And I think in the modern context, we look at, I mean, particularly going through the 60s, where the movements survived the assassinations of Dr. King, or survived the assassinations of um, uh, John and Bobby, and were like able to to move on, I think that notion of Victor over Grave in that context, in the in the in the resurrection context, has some resonance in our culture, mm-hmm. and I think that you can see it see it sort of play out play out there. Yeah, yeah, and I think personal life, that especially, right, best perhaps the most comforting thing that can be said is the worst thing is never the last thing. Yeah. Okay, so those are. So you identify which one is, is my which one is my version of salvation. Yours is moral teaching. Moral teaching. What is your what's your version? I go back and forth among 
it's kind of the how how much of a deist am I feeling that day like do I feel like Jesus was literally you know like God and human and there are days I really want that and like incarnation is very appealing to me because of that and then there are days I can land with moral teachings I also think that okay you can have like one does not discount the other Mm-hmm. So, if you have a really fabulous teacher, great. If you have someone who, like, yes, this, this person inspires me, to do, great. But that person is God, then guess what? You really do what that person says. Right, right, right. So, like, I think you can take moral teachings and adding either resurrection or incarnation only makes that stronger, not less so. Um, and again, it's kind of depending on the day. How much am I going like, yeah, Jesus was human and divine, or Jesus, Jesus was just a guy. Um, what about the idea that salvation is a turning, is a, is a, uh, you know, a discontinuity in the graph? You know, that, that 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 salvation is a point at which someone is forever changed. Yeah, I don't buy that. Um, because we are always moving, we are always changing, and. I think salvation is a choice each day. Uh-huh. Am I going to choose today to be saved from the corporate sin around me? To do something that says, no, this is the kingdom I'm participating in, not capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Am I going to do these things that point me toward God? And we'll see what happens in the long run. I think that is actually my end game. It's like, what I confess is that God somehow works all of this out. Uh-huh. And so I don't worry about that so much as what can I do right now to make things better in my life and my neighbor's lives. The, the, I think it's interesting, the idea in John 3 about being born again, mm-hmm. which, is, is it fair to consider born again as a, a synonym for being saved? I think in our... I, I think yes. In our context, that rough, that kind of puts me on edge. <laughs> right, right. You get this whole like born again narrative. I'm like, right. yeah, right. no. PTSD. A, right. Well, I think what Jesus says in John three sixteen is he says to Nicodemus, right? If you want, if you want what I've got, if you want what I'm selling, you have to be born again. And then that confuses Nicodemus because he's a literalist. Right. And he says, but God, how can I? come out of my mother's womb again. Right. And Jesus says, don't be such a dummy. Right. Obviously, I'm speaking metaphorically about being radically transformed at some point. And I, I, I do think there's something to that. I think there's something to, now, I think you can go back to old ways. I think you can, I think you can lose that. So I do think there's something of a daily affirmation of that. But I do think it's an interesting idea that as a human, you can get to a place where you are you are transformed. You see the world in a new, a new way. You make a turn. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think that is very different. I, I don't think there's a point, though. I think that's one of the things. I see, yeah, yeah. So to say that, like, yes, I was saved at this point, we're all good, which is often the narrative, often especially hard Calvinists have that narrative. Right. With, yes, you are saved. Um, it kind of... The mean streets. It's the mean streets of Gilbert. Right. The biker but, gangs. I should say a distorted view of Calvin has that. But I think there can be many turning points in your life where yeah. there is a significant change and transformation. Right. Um, so I was raised Christian, but I'm not a fundamentalist anymore. 
Right. That had to be a transformation that is better in my life. But who knows what turns still come. Yeah. And so to say there's one point, I think discredits so much of the human experience. So just like um, last time we decided that we're going to keep the idea of sin, but we're going to be more careful with it, I think we're going to keep the idea of salvation in the progressive church as well. Yeah. So. We might wrestle with that one a little more even. Even more so. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that will do it for now. Thanks, Abby, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until we um, talk uh, next time. Cheers. Cheers.